How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to episode 32 of The Way of the Wolf. On the show today, I have a good friend of mine, Chris Tarver. He is back. We are actually recording in my podcast studio as opposed to my formal dining room. So, we Chris, are, man. welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Dude, this place really is, man. This place is really fantastic. Uh, I heard Henry, Henry mention it on y'all's show and uh, it's better than I expected. It's really, really cool. Appreciate I should, it. I shouldn't say better than I expected because you tend to do everything uh, to the nines. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is pretty sweet, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's taken a lot longer than I initially planned for it to, but it's just I'm so meticulous and I want everything to be perfect. And I had this vision that I've wanted to try to bring to life, and it's taken me longer than I thought. But I'm very happy. Whoever with it. did the uh, the steel work, yeah, did a fantastic job. Whoever that is, that's yeah. Awesome. So we talked about it on on uh, the show with with Henry. I believe his name is. Oh God, I just drew a blank, so I don't want to embarrass myself. But it, well, yeah. plug him later if it comes back. But um, yeah. Okay, you were talking about wanting to do something on the ceiling, like yeah, to, to eliminate the reverb. Yep, a little bit of reverb in the room, and I've I've talked about uh, getting. Obviously, there's some foam panels, which you can probably see in some of the the camera footage, but. <laughs> trying to figure out what can I put on on the ceiling. And I had some ideas about, like you've seen it in movie theaters where there's little LED lights that look like stars and stuff like that. I still haven't settled in on exactly what I want to do yet, though. All right, so I, I know a guy who does that. Okay. Um, I think it, it, you're pretty handy, man. I think that the material cost for those things is fairly inexpensive. Okay. If you could get up there and do it. But it's, mm-hmm. like, a, um, it's a, like a fiber optic. Mm-hmm. They're like the size of fishing line, and they're so yeah. small. Um, and I had this really cool idea. So I bought some property earlier this year to hopefully build me and Danny's kind of like, it's our first home that we'll ever build together. Uh, I build homes, but I've yeah. never built one for myself. Yeah. Um, and I had this idea to do that same thing on like a, re- on a really cool back patio. Mm. So like something outdoors where you're looking at a wood ceiling, but at night, and you never even know they're up there, but at night you can turn those on and yeah. they come out of nowhere. Yeah. I thought that'd be really cool. I've never seen that done before. That's true. That's, that would be really slick, especially outdoors. I'd be yeah. curious to know like how the how the electronics and everything. I mean, it's just light, quite frankly. So sure from what it issues. sounds like to me, it's I say fiber optics as if I'm like familiar with what the heck that is. Uh, but it's a bunch of tiny little fibers that they yeah. just, and they literally go in and drill and and feather them through and feed them yeah. through, and you never even know they're there. You would never know they're in the ceiling. Yeah. So I'll do a little bit. I've been started doing a little bit of research on it, and that actually probably would work well, especially if I do do uh, like foam padding and stuff, and I can just run the water. Oh yeah, yeah. Just so, so, anyways, yeah, it's it's coming together. But thank right, you. If you decide to do that, let me jump in and help you. Heck so I yeah, can kinda, absolutely. I think, like I said, I think the material cost is pretty cheap. Okay, all right. Okay, so you do construction. I know we've talked about this in on the previous episode. Whenever you're on the show. You also have TF supplements. How are things going? Uh, with kind of both businesses. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting. I always admire, obviously, entrepreneurs in, in general. But whenever they start branching out and having multiple businesses that they're running and managing, I, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that can balance all of that. And so I always just want to hear your thoughts. I've tried to balance more too. And Mm -hmm. I've just kind of figured out that I'm, what I've got right now is about what I can manage. Okay. Uh, They're two totally unrelated businesses, um, which makes it hard. So I think oftentimes, 
oftentimes someone might find themselves, um, you know, with a, a, I don't, I hate the word side hustle or side business. Um, cause it seems like such an afterthought, but like, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody starts an alternative project, it oftentimes kind of flows or feeds at least or stems from what they currently spend most of their time doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But I have these two totally unrelated businesses that sometimes is really difficult uh, to balance, but you just have to switch gears a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'll be deep into a thought or a, an idea or a concept with working on for, for, for one company and I'll get a phone call or a text message with a question that needs, you know, that needs answering. And I've got to completely like stop and shift gears and, and give that answer and then shift back, which is kind of hard. So how long have you been doing that? Having to shift gears? I uh, started real estate stuff in 2012. Yeah. And then TF was started in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is that while they're completely disjointed and disconnected, I was at a, a friend of mine named Daniel Wolfson. He owns a martinis and manicures place over here in the woodlands. And whenever they had their grand opening, I met with a guy. I can't remember. God, I can't remember his name or his, his title. But so he was talking through the entity structure that he and his partner had had built over the years. So they did martinis and manicures. I think it's like franchises or something like that. But then also they started the tune-up salon for, okay. for men, the haircutting salon. And then also they have a construction company. So when you start having multiple entities like that that appear to be completely disjointed and disconnected, completely different verticals and industries, you start to realize there can be some bleed over between the two. So every time they open a new tune-up salon, in comes a construction company. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the martinis and manicures. Now, whenever the women are getting their hair done, oh, well, hey, why don't you come over here to the tune-up salon? Do they often have them side by side? uh, No, no, I don't think they have, not from what I've seen. Is it, is it similar? It's similar concept. It's like, you know, men go get their haircut and have a glass of whiskey, or yeah, and then yeah, m- exactly, kind of okay. like uh, the boardroom salon. You know, right. I know you've been there before, but yeah, go get get your haircut, have a glass of. Is he the franchise owner? Of that? I, I I don't know enough about the structure. I, I don't recall. It was a few years ago, I think, whenever I met with him. But I did find that interesting to see businesses in completely different verticals and mm-hmm. how there can be pull through on mm-hmm. on stuff like that. So, but it is definitely challenging to have to, to switch gears. Now for me, uh, I started l- having to learn how to switch gears when I started leading HR on top of IT. Now not different businesses, but it did take me many years to put on my HR hat and then put on my IT hat and just kind of go back and forth. And what I found is after about five years or so, it started to get a little bit, eh, four years or so, it started to get a little bit easier. It still sucks just because it can be mentally exhausting just having to switch gears so so much i've wondered if if i was better at really either one of them Mm -hmm. um or i I should rephrase i think if you i think if you truly are really good at something Mm -hmm. um it it takes less work right so i've always said that work ethic will outbeat or or will beat money or, or beat talent every day um but once you get where you're really balancing a lot of things, you kind of really have to be good at something to be able to go to jump in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, cause you can't live in the space all day. And I guess what I mean is like, sometimes you, 
when you walk in or when I walk into a team meeting that we have and I just left a job site, mm -hmm. I just left the job site, I've got 20 minutes and I'm walking over into a team meeting. I really need to be like, I, thankfully, I think I'm fairly good at what I do, but I, I'm, I'm able to switch those gears quickly, mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but I, you can't really fake it once you have a lot on your plate. I guess it, like it's going to fall apart. If it you is. try to, if you try to balance too much and you're trying to fake it, it's going to fall apart. That's a better way to put it. It is. And I think that speaks to the importance of as you grow and scale multiple businesses, if that is the intent, making sure that you're bringing in the right people to be able to run the business whenever you step away. You know, we talked about Josiah a lot yeah. in the past and how he's been able to help with TF so much while you do go do some of this other stuff. And I think that's something that, you know, it's interesting, another friend of mine that started a consulting business a few months back, and we were talking through the difference of people that get into consulting or running a business. They, some of them just create a job for themselves and others build companies. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, I think there's there's two paths there. You can yeah. you can just create a job for yourself and be a consultant and just do that or go the route of building a company. I think it takes kind of different skill sets to be able to do each approach. And you want to think about it, if you're just building a job for yourself and being a subject matter expert in that field, being the best in the world at it, that's great. But if you want to build a company and you've got 10 subject matter experts that are the best in their field, it takes a different approach. You got to be able to lead and bring in the right people into your organization, which is something that, you know, maybe doesn't, not everybody wants to do. Or, or it's very tough. It's very hard, yeah. yeah. And, or maybe their business can't afford that caliber of person. I, 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 don't, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that would be, that's challenging for mm -hmm. a business owner. Um, and I think there's a, I think it's a totally different gear when you start trying to, th those two gears are totally different. When you are, when you start with an idea or a concept for a business, I think we tend to think in that, that cr we're like creating a job lane first. Like we, mm -hmm. we start thinking of like, oh, that's an interesting concept. The world needs that. Like, yeah. but when you really kind of pull back and go, okay, well, how am I going to, how do I build a business out of this where I'm not just creating a, a, a something I'm going to have to work the rest of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a totally different wavelength and it's one often kind of maybe not thought of until you're down the road. And then like I, I've been in that situation before and I, I've got friends that have two where they're four five, six, seven years into their business and they're going, where is this going? Like, it, am I going to be doing this forever? And, and I think had they had that, that thought or thought in that wavelength four, five, six, seven years earlier mm -hmm. and said, okay, what is that plan? What's my two-year plan, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan? How is this going to be that business? Yeah. Well, it's not to say it can't happen. Of course not. No. It's just, you know, one of the things that I've, I also find interesting, every time I ha have conversations with entrepreneurs, their biggest regret is, I wish I would have started sooner, right? So some people would get in and to start their business if they go into it with the end in mind, which I don't know if they always do. Right. Like if the end goal is to build a company with 10, 15 consultants so that it kind of runs itself, you're going to approach it, your business plan and strategy differently than if you're just trying to find work for yourself. So Or build it and sell it, right? I think yeah. I've heard of a lot of successful people say the point of the point of starting a business is to sell it. So that's when that's where the big money comes from. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Austin. We 
grew up together. But he spent a lot of time in oil and gas, and he's been consulting for probably the past five or six years now and has a clients in all sorts of different verticals. And one of the things that he's he's noticed is the transaction is when the big money occurs. Like you can start a business and run it and be be successful, but those transactions, that's when that's when all the money comes. And whenever I think about, uh, whenever I was talking with Henry, talked about an acquisition that we made, $500 million acquisition. Now, the company wasn't making, well, I don't know, they're, you know, you look at their margins, their revenue, like it was probably five years before they would have made that that kind of money. There's, I've heard of companies getting thirty x. Yeah, it's it's I it's mean, crazy. And then when, especially in the in the oil field and tech, I guess two industries where people will will start something up, sell it for a bunch of money, wait a year, go vacation, and then start something new up. What do they call that? Sell like it, pump and dump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so business ideas. You posted something online the other day which resonated with me, and I loved it. It was, <laughs> I'm going to start a company called We Call You Back. No, it's called, construction. Uh, real good construction. Yeah, we real good construction. Yeah. We call you back. Okay. Dude, you would oh not. Oh, my God. It seems so easy. You would not believe. Okay, so I've got I've got uh, two real estate projects right now, mm -hmm. uh, two houses that are torn down to the studs, and, and we're in the middle of construction. Mm -hmm. uh, well, one of them's a little further along. I, I think we've I've got a goal of uh, end of August, So, mm -hmm. and then the other one's, uh, going to be into September, but each property has pools. Um, right now, I think I'm going on my seventh pool company that I've, you know, either had out to the property to measure and discuss, or I've spoken over the phone on, um, and got like kind of verbal quotes on basic based on the scope of work we needed. But both of these pools are getting remodeled. We're making changes to them and stuff. Uh, I've got a glass company that I'm about 45 days late on that, I, that every day I have to call and say, and I talk to the same lady in the office and I say, Hey, this is Chris calling about my glass, just checking up. Oh, Hey Chris, let me check on that for you. And she says, Oh, it looks like uh, there's a delay. I'll call you back uh, and let you know when I have more, have more info. And I said, no, you won't. And she's, she always laughs at me and says, and she's like, yes, I will. And I say, I call you every day to get an update. <laughs> I call you every day. We speak every day of the week. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've got, a, I've got glass companies, pool companies, lawn maintenance companies, uh, framers, um, that it's like people don't want to give you bad news. So rather than just saying, hey, it's going to be three weeks, mm -hmm. or hey, we're really behind, it's going to be a month, or hey, I just don't want to do that job, or hey, this is just not within our scope of work. It's like they would rather just avoid the phone call or avoid the text message. I mean, companies that I've done business with that we're currently doing business with that are that I, you know, still owe money to. Like we're in the pro in we're working together currently, will not reply to text messages or phone calls for days, sometimes weeks, because it's bad news that they have to give mm -hmm. me. And it's like you have no idea how much it would help me just to give me the bad news. You avoiding me leaves all these question marks in my head, and now I'm like, it's like you have open folders on your on your computer. It's like I've got all these things open, going, okay, I gotta follow up with them, I gotta follow up with them, I gotta follow up with them. Just give me the news so I can say okay, and I can close that box and move on to the next thing. But avoiding this bad news, it's like I think this is a major problem with seemingly everyone. 
Okay, so a few things that come to mind for me there. People, by and large, don't like having difficult conversations. True. Okay. So when you think about it from a business perspective, in their minds, I suspect they're thinking, oh, God, I don't want to tell them this bad news. I'm going to get pissed off and go find somebody else. So what are they doing? Are they, are they just gonna? Are they? Are they just? Is it just a delay? I think. I guess it's just a delay. They need to read the book Crucial Conversations, which would be very helpful for them. But then the other thing that comes to mind in, in hearing that, I think a lot of businesses, especially in construction and industries like that, don't place enough value on project management and what it takes to successfully manage a project or multiple projects. Whenever throughout my career, and early on in my career, I, the thought of project managers just drove me crazy. It's like, what, why do I need this person over here to keep track of the things that I need to do? That's ridiculous. In recent years, I came to realize the value of having somebody that can track all of that and then put dependencies and say, okay, we're going to build a house. I'm going to speak in broad strokes here. So we're going to build a house. Okay, we've got to get the framers. Oh, nope, we've got to lay the slab first. Yeah. So you schedule the slab, make sure that that... They're going to need a buffer of time, however where, however long that is. And Timeline, then the framers yeah. come in and the roofers and the dry, like, And that's only a benefit for you like, or in everyone else involved in the project. Like, exactly. Yeah. But having somebody yeah. focused and that is their job and function, yeah. oh, my God, there's so much value in it. Could you imagine if the companies that you're working with all had project managers and said, you know what, we're going to get to it on the 15th. And they, the project managers, stuck to the schedule and made sure that all the people on the team were lined up. Okay, well, there's a rain delay here. Let me call Chris and tell him it's going to be the 16th instead. Like, that's huge. That's huge, yeah. Just let me know. Just and communicate. There's yeah. a construction company called um, Doing It Right Construction or really? something like that. Uh, they're, they've got an office here over off of, of Sawdust. Now, and I had them bid out my patio cover, which I know you've seen. They did come in higher or more expensive than a lot of the other bids that I came in at. And I was this close to using them and had really good conversation with a gentleman and, and felt comfortable with their ability to manage the project. And they did a pretty good job. But that company doing it right construction, I went in and met and sat down with them and they showed me the project plan and I met the project manager and it was like a whole big thing for that patio covers, I don't know, like fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars something like that. So, you know, not an insignificant amount of no, money. No, that's for a big sure. project, yeah. And that's a big project. Yeah. And so, but I found so much value in that. And I think a lot of businesses, especially when it comes to construction and remodeling and things like that. You know, maybe it's these people that just kind of fumbled their way into it. Like, oh, I can, I can do drywall. Let me start a drywall company. Yeah, I, I think it's likely. Now, some of these companies I'm talking about, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy, the revenue that they do. Like, these mm. pool companies are crazy money. Yeah. Um, this window glass company is a multi-million dollar co company, you know. So, you know, they've got office administrators and, like, yeah. they, they, I don't really cut them any slack. Mm. They should be able to call me back. Uh <laughs> Now, like, I get it with with contractors, with uh, you know framers and uh, electricians and stuff like that. Like, it's probably a one man show. Mm. He's doing his best to you know log his appointments in a book, and mm. and you know I cut those guys slack for sure. But it's more like when you come across these companies that are seemingly successful, mm -hmm. and in some ways far more successful than you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and you're like, you can't give me a a, a call back, like. Mm -hmm. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. Like, how the hell have you got to where you are? You know what I mean? 
So, you know, where my mind goes when I hear that is you think of in, in the communications business, AT&T, 800-pound 800 gorilla in the room, right? They're all of internet circuits. The AT&T has a local loop at every business in North America that you can think of, well, in the U.S., that you can think about. You have to deal with AT&T in some form or fashion. They are horrendous. You can't get a call back. You can't get an install date. You can't get a technician. You can't. It blows my mind, and I've thought about this, and not, not in recent years, but I don't know, maybe eight, ten years or so ago, I was like, how on earth are they everywhere? And I think what happened is they built so much mass, probably through acquisition, they built so much mass that it doesn't really matter what their customer service is anymore, mm -hmm. just because they are the only person to go to. That's been my experience with CenterPoint. Yeah. I, I would rank that as the worst customer service I've ever dealt with. But yeah, and it, you, in a lot of cases, like with energy providers in some areas, it's like, no, nah, you get what you get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what's the name of that book? Crucial Conversations. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll send it to you whenever we leave. Yeah. I'll send it to you on audiobook or whatever. But yeah, so it's a really good book. It talks about, and I know I've recommended it on the show before, but it talks about it defines a crucial conversation as any conversation where the stakes are high. Oh, I've got to deliver bad news or, oh, I'm upset with my significant other or anything where, where tension and stress. What about good, any, like positive news, like, uh, or, or something, maybe a conversation you need to have, but you want to make sure you get out of that conversation what you, what you hope to get okay, out of it. Okay, so that's a good point, yeah. right? Because some people aren't as good at communication as they think they are. I've seen that in business a lot. So the, the, the concept of the book is all, all really around communication and effective communication. And so it talks through, I'll use an example in, in delivering bad news. If you and I are having a conversation, hey, Chris, I'm not going to be able to get to your project for six weeks, right? If, and it teaches you kind of how to, re, for me to be able to read you and your response to the news that I'm giving you. So okay. we're having this conversation and, and I share the bad news with you and you start to shut down your arms cross, you start getting all pissed off and you know, grumbling and, and all of that. It talks you through, okay, when, when that person gets to that point, pivot the conversation just a little bit. Say, how, how's your daughter doing? I saw you posted some stuff on online. And then that loosens you up. You're, you, you're like, okay, all right. It loosens you up. And then I can circle back around and come back in and okay, it's going to be six weeks, and I'm only going to be able to get two guys to your place. I'm not going to be able to get three. So it talks you through how to kind of bob and weave through those difficult conversations, how to read the other person so that you can effectively de deliver the message that, that you need to get across. I asked about the, the positive conversations because there's been numerous times in, in the TF business, the, the retail business, where I may have something positive to, to deliver, not necessarily a bad conversation, mm -hmm. but there's something I'm hoping to get out of that conversation. And it's always, and afterwards I always have, man, I wish I, I why didn't I say it like that? Or why didn't I deliver it like that? Or, or why did I just jump into this? Why didn't mm -hmm. I kind of like, kind of lead them into that, you know? And, um, I, I think there's like a conversation strategy, I guess, more or yeah. less like, yeah, um, it may not be good or bad, but just mm -hmm. making sure you get out of those conversations, which you maximize those conversations. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So really great book. I'll, I'll get it over to you. So, uh, okay. So talking to your TF business, when is your next event? You have the best events 
ever. Even I think the first event that I went to that um, I think you had coordinated it was that Nutrition Depot that used to have off of 2920 that used to have the CrossFit events out yeah, in the parking yeah. lot. And so did you coordinate those? Uh, for the, a few years, yeah. Yeah, right, three so, or four years. Yeah. yeah, so that was my first uh, experience in the events that, and always just so phenomenal. I remember the one where Rich Froning was there. I don't know if you had anything to do with, with that. Yeah, that, uh, so I did put that event on. Uh, we had That year we had Rich Froning and we had uh, Camille LeBlanc. At the, uh, at the time it was... I don't think it was Camille. It I, little was girl, it? right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, she was the... It was. She That's was, right, it kind was. Of the women's yep. champ and, mm-hmm. and he was the men's. Um, He's so short. <laughs> dude, they were both so tiny. I just... It was the, the craziest thing. So for those of you that don't know, we're talking about CrossFit Games champions. CrossFit or, Games are going on right now. So, yeah, actually yeah. they are. Yeah. Which I'm sure they've probably... I don't even think Rich... Does he compete anymore? So he does uh, team competitions only. Okay. I saw actually saw a meme online the other day. And I, I'm sure you've seen in the, oh God, the movie, uh, uh, the Avengers. Then at the end, when Captain America is really old and he's sitting on the bench, and um, oh God, I can't remember the guy's name. Anyways, he, he comes up to him and he's like, "Hey, so what are you going to do with this?" Or, oh no, he said, "Tell me about, tell me about your girl." And he's like, "No, I don't think I will." So I saw a meme of. It was Captain America in old age, but it was Rich Froning's face put on it. And at the top, it said, hey, are you going to let any other teams win any events? <laughs> I said, no, I don't think I will. So I went and looked on the leaderboard, and CrossFit Mayhem got first in every single event. That's I don't understand. Yeah, crazy. it's really... For those of you that don't... Um, I, I, I really... You don't have to know CrossFit or even like it to, to appreciate the level of excellence that, or the, the level of dominance that that is, right? So, like, I mean, you don't have to know anything about it to know that there's this one guy who seemingly, if he shows up, everyone else is just battling for second place. It's yeah. crazy. And yeah. it's been going on for so long. Then he leaves right. individual competition and goes to teams, and the his team just continues to dominate. It, it really kind of defies all kind of, logic it, when it comes to it, it does yeah and you know i think after after rich's uh, period was it four or five years that he four it was four years that he won straight as an individual and then matt fraser comes in and wins five years straight as, oh wow as an individual know. and the last two years rich uh, matt was that individual that just as dominant just as dominant like first 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 Dude. oh we got a second place first 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 when we had him out at that event i was so excited to meet him and I mean, he super cool guy, but not what I mean. When you see him on TV, he's a specimen. I mean, the dude is carved out of stone, and you're watching him perform like that. And you see him in real life, and you're like, "Man, I could lose you in a shopping mall." Like it's just <laughs> not a. It, he's not a striking person by any means. Like mm-hmm. when he puts a t-shirt on, he's a normal looking guy. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty blown away by that too. He also was really uh, reluctant to get on the mic. Oh. So yeah, I remember I. So many people showed up to that event, and I knew, I mean, they came, I don't say they came just for him, but the fact that he was there was a that major was contributor, right? So I knew they'd love to hear from him. So I pulled Rich aside, and I'm like, hey, man, can you go out here, um, just kind of address the crowd, say hi to everybody? This is kind of mid-morning after I think one event had already transpired, um, and there was a, a break period. I said, hey, man, just go go say hi to everybody. Everyone's super excited to hear from you. Um, just and and at the time, I think he was sponsored by BSN, was his like yeah it was supplement BSN. sponsor mm-hmm. or whatever. 
And I said, like, you don't have to, like, get into, like, the vitamins you're taking and stuff like that. But, like, mention BSN. You know, yeah. that, that was the side of the business I was working on. So I'm yeah. like, hey, mention BSN. You know, say thank you to them. Um, you know, and maybe if maybe if you're up for it, maybe let someone ask a question or something, mm -hmm. maybe. But just go say hi to everybody. I hand him the microphone, and you would think, like, I just told him to go make a state of the union address or something like he's like a deer in the headlights and i'm like you just got done competing against the world on the world stage of fitness but he was like shaking to hold this microphone and he goes out there and he's like uh hey everyone you know and i'm like who is this guy like what? i was just i was just watching you on espn yeah i was the world champ yeah I, I remember seeing that and thinking okay well that's interesting i didn't expect that one kind of a short guy and then two like not being able to talk and just being on the world stage in front of so many people but i guess you didn't really have to talk i had to do is take a shirt just off and perform go out there and compete man yeah yeah okay so when is your your next event actually you know before we get into your next event the firefighter challenge love those cool. those are so so cool one of the things that i really enjoyed the cereal bowl yeah that yeah. was pretty legit so tell the listeners what that's all about uh there was a year what we we had a uh protein cereal on our shelf and it, it was a you know a healthy alternative to regular cereal or whatever it was like high protein so we held an event where you had to eat a whole box of cereal and a half a gallon of milk and it was essentially a race right so we set up a horseshoe of tables in the store i think we had like 25 competitors uh everyone had one big bowl you could bring any utensil you wanted. So everyone brought their own kind of spoon that they wanted to, to tackle this with. And everyone got one full box, one half gallon. I think we did 2% milk. And it was a race. Uh, and you couldn't, you couldn't pick the bowl up until your cereal was gone. So like all the cereal had to be out, then you could drink your milk. And I think those types of events, because, you know, the firefighter event was a big one. Shout out to the spring fire department. They they put that whole in, entire thing on. I pretty much host it, okay. uh, but those guys put on an awesome event. We've put on some big events where we've got lots of vendors out and um, we do tons of giveaways. And, and sometimes it's upwards of 20 to 25 companies out there giving stuff away and people can come get samples and talk nutrition with different companies. Those are a big undertaking. That's yeah. a, there's a lot of planning and a lot of coordination and there's a lot of money spent in preparation for those where some of these smaller ones, which I think are cooler, they're, they're a little more intimate, a um, little more kind of like community felt. Like uh, one of the recent ones we did, which I think would, would be my personal favorite, we did a, what do we call it? Uh, it was a, a meal prep event, mm -hmm. uh, prep rally. Okay. And it was all the, uh, the oh, yeah. meal prep companies came, sampled their foods, and it was just kind of like a little party. We had a bartender mixing drinks and like a little cocktail party where you got basically came and ate dinner from all these different places and, you know, we served you drinks and hung out. I thought that was one of my favorite mm -hmm. events. Uh, I like stuff like that. So I think we're going to keep doing smaller, more like niche events like that and doing them more frequently rather than the big, the big ones that take so much undertaking and so much planning just for people to come get samples and stuff. Yeah. So on our calendar, that's what we're trying to plan for. We're, we're kind of breaking down our year calendar saying, okay, what are these times? What do we have for this quarter, this quarter, this quarter, this quarter? And trying to plan like more frequent small things yeah, like that. That'd be cool. All right. So you mentioned before we started recording, having a winning mindset. And wanted to talk a little bit about that. What are your thoughts? Um, man, it, the last time we spoke, I left and uh, 
it, I, I, you know, my mind was just kind of going, um, but we, we spoke a lot about my kind of early days of starting the, the uh, real estate companies and the real estate is a construction company. I don't sell real estate, but I basically buy and, and remodel and flip homes. But during that process, I don't have, I didn't have money. I didn't really have, I had no real like easy avenue to success in there. I just kind of jumped in and went for it. And uh, all I really had was this mindset of essentially a, there's nothing I can't do. Like I, I, it, it's been done and that means I can do it. And uh, I just would remind myself like on, on the late nights that I would spend, you know, 12, one, two in the morning working on these projects, then go home, sleep for a few hours and then wake up and be back at work. I also had a nine to five at the time. All I really had was that winner's mindset. And that's kind of, that was that kind of fuel. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are probably sitting on ideas sitting on things that they really want to do or they really hope to do one day and maybe they're reluctant to jump in maybe they're reluctant to kind of to kind of let go of that security of whatever that full-time position is they have or whatever the you know whatever you want to call it that security they have but they're reluctant to let go and try for that and you know I held on as long as as long as I could because I was trying to I was really trying to be smart. I was trying to be as lean as I could with income coming in to try to build this other business up. And that would be my advice for, for anyone in, in that kind of a position. But um, that winner's mindset was really the only thing that like got me across the finish line of that first project and the second project and the third and so on. Because I really had, I didn't have a, a big influx of, of cash or a, a trust fund or I'm, I just really didn't have much anything. I just, I had my nine to five. I had a little, I was making a little bit of money and I would just pull everything I could, everything I could to put into that, we'll call it a side hustle, right? Um, but really it wasn't a side hustle. It was a, it was something I was working my ass off to build, you mm -hmm. know? And I didn't really know what it was going to look like, but I knew I wanted to go in that direction and I just freaking worked, man. Yeah. Um, so one of my mentors years ago always taught me that because I mean, owning my own consulting business is something that I've, I've wanted to do for for a long time, and I still do, or I actually do it now. But one of the things he always told me is is I would never be successful until I left my nine to five, which I don't necessarily know if I don't, I don't know agree if that's with true. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think to each is their own. If if I had received some sort of influx of cash and could. Pay could off afford all it. my yeah. debt, pay off my house, pay it like, and then just live for a year or two with no income, then yeah, absolutely. Let's I think that's one of those this. like sexy things to say, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it's just like a little one liner that like maybe rolls off the tongue well, but mm -hmm. in reality, there's a lot of people with bills and homes and families, and they've got something they want to build too, mm -hmm. and but they still have you know obligations to these other things, like so maybe they can't just ditch their nine to five. Yeah. Uh, which I think that's probably the majority. Yeah, I think so. So I think that's probably just one of those sexy things to say, like you're never going to make it until you take that leap, you yeah. know? And you're like, well, maybe, right. But I would definitely subscribe to the idea of run as lean as you can, you know, live within, maybe, maybe you don't drive the thing you want to drive or live where you really want to live. And, 
you know, maybe run lean, but until you can, but, but cover your, cover those obligations until you can take that leap, you know, but it's, it's doable. It is. And, and I think a lot of people are, are hesitant or, or reluctant to, to take that step back. You know, we've over oh, decades now, it's, it's kind of been this keeping up with the Joneses mindset, like everybody, oh, I'm in a bigger house now. Oh, I've got a nicer car, all of that stuff. People are reluctant to take one or two steps or three or four steps back, live a more modest lifestyle so that they can focus on what makes them happy or, or achieve that dream that they have. Dude, I think everyone gets caught in these like seasons of life that they think they're supposed to be in. Like, I, th- you know, it seems like girls they start getting to twenty five years old and they're you know they haven't found the man they're gonna marry and it's like some kind of rush you know like or or guys have set these goals of like I'm gonna make be doing this by the time I'm thirty or this by the time I'm forty and fifty right and really it's like everyone's running different courses and it's not we're not running the same race everyone's doing totally different things this this whole seasons of life are supposed to look this way is bullshit like and we get caught up in that like uh i for my personal testimony i was with my wife for 11 years before i proposed holy shit dude would you believe the amount of crap i took from that like Dude, it was nonstop. Could you imagine the crap she took from it from her friends? Like, well, if he's not ready to commit, you know, I can only imagine, dude. And she was good about not like laying that on thick for me, but she let me know. And I certainly knew she was getting it. And, but I would tell her, like, that's not, that's a season that, that we're like, it's a construct that we've kind of created that we're supposed to be doing. Um, but right now a marriage rings, a wedding, that's not in the cards for us financially while we're trying to build this other thing. So this is what I believe is the right path for us to build this other thing. I'd really like for you to come along with me. And that was the conversation we had. And thankfully she, she bought that line (laughs) (laughs) and I made it work. (laughs) Um, and, and we got married later. Right. And, and, I, I remember too, her friends were married and having children and, uh, and they were taking vacations and going on weekend trips and they were, sometimes they were doing it together and like, you know, and especially watching friends that also had children kind of living those seasons of life together, Danny would get, uh, almost worried that when that season came for her, that she would almost be like alone. Like her friends were on their like second child or like older children. So then she'd be the only one going through pregnancy with an infant and a baby. And it would, she'd be kind of like, she wouldn't be able to live it with her friends, you know, but it's absolutely wasn't the case. I think, I think God kind of does that for us, but thankfully like Danny's surrounded by her best friends that are living it with her right now. Right. And, and I'm always remind reminding her, like, do you remember how much you worried about that? Do you remember how much you, you thought that ship was sailing and wouldn't you know that the plan was actually greater? And, uh, I think like trying to pull out of these like seasonal constructs that we're supposed to be in and, and just follow, follow your gut. I mean, that's a real, that's as real as it gets. I think like, have faith, follow your gut, you know, build some strategy with whatever that thing is you're trying to build and 
don't get sucked into that bullshit the keeping up with the Joneses or the, these mm-hmm. seasonal constructs. It's only going to slow you down. It's going to be more drag. Yeah. Eliminate drag. If you have something you're trying to build, eliminate drag. Run as lean as you can and make it happen. And to be honest, that's kind of like I was doing that so much in the early days that I do a lot of weird shit now. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm definitely not cheap, but there's things like like I still get commercials on Pandora because I won't pay the $9. You know what I mean? Like I listen to Pandora every day in the gym and I have to listen to commercials. And Which I have to say, that stresses me out. I think we were listening to your music one time. I was like, Chris, dude, come on, okay, bro. It's, it's like I'm, five bucks a month. I know, I know. Like I can swing it. But it started It started in those early days of like, like I said, I didn't have, I, I saved I, I pulled everything I had in savings. I, I had worked a deal with my apartment complex when I was younger, and I offered a boot camp three days a week in the apartment gym in exchange for half off my rent. So those of you out there living in apartment trainers, you might be able to swing that. Um, and it, they offered it as like an amenity. Well, I had a really nice apartment that I was paying like 600 bucks a month for, and um, I was able to save a bunch of money. I had a company car. Um, I wasn't making a bunch of money, but I was able to save a good bit. And I mean, I didn't buy a pair of blue jeans, dude. Like I was so frugal. And when I started, like when I first bought the house, it felt like it was like almost like monopoly money because I wasn't, I wasn't spending money. So I didn't have like an associated value with money. It wasn't like I would go spend a hundred, a hundred bucks and have a really fun night out with friends. So then when I spent, like spending the money on or investing the money in my first real estate deal, it didn't feel like I was like losing all this, these things. It was like, those are just dollars in my account. Like, because I, my life wasn't going to change at all, you know? And, um, that's kind of kept like Danny has to like pull that out of me a little bit. Cause I, I'm still like that. Like I said, the Pandora thing, uh, I think I just got premium YouTube, right? Like, or like, <laughs> Oh damn! I still don't have that. I just yeah, use an ad blocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, my, I have a pair of sunglasses right now where like the finish of them is like melting off. And Danny's like, "Would you get some new glasses?" Like stuff like that. I still am very frugal when it comes to those things, and um, I'm in a different season of my life. But it was so, it was such a daily reminder. Like, no man, we got to do this. We got to do this. I would pep talk myself so much about being frugal and building this other thing and sacrificing. And, and those sacrifices were what fueled so much of like, it was my fuel. It was like, it was what I would tell myself, like, I'm willing to do this, you know? And like, it, it was going through and it was all the things that I was willing to sacrifice. I would tell myself other people aren't willing to do this. This is why I'm going to make it. This is why it's going to work because other people aren't willing to do this. So then in, when you build a lot of strength from those sacrifices, it's hard to shift from that gear and go, oh, well, we're good now, you know, and just start yeah. like, you know, I mean, well, that, I, think I, I think that that still holds true, you know, to maybe to a different level now, but it still holds true. So that's interesting. Whenever I think through people that have, have grown up with, uh, we'll say, lower middle class or even, you know, lower class, and they, they find themselves in, in a position where they start to achieve success. That's actually another conversation I was having with somebody recently. I've seen some people that, that achieve success over 
a longer period of time versus some that have what would appear to be kind of overnight success. And it's, it's interesting to watch the people that have had to like fight and scrap and claw for eight, 10 years to get something great. They still have a mindset similar to what you just described. And I've seen others that seemingly skyrocket to the top in two or three years, and then they kind of start to coast. And I'm, as you were sharing that story, it kind of made me think through that. And I don't know if there's like some element of, of ego that plays like, oh, I made it to the top so fast and now I can just coast. Wouldn't or... you have to think like I would be susceptible to that? I, I, if, if any one of my, you know, brilliant ideas skyrocketed me to the top at anything short term, mm-hmm. you better believe that's going to jack with my ego yeah. on some level. I don't think that, I think that's unavoidable, you know, that's fair. I mean, we're human, like, mm-hmm. you, and props to you if that's the case, right? Like on some level, I'm like, yeah, well, you, yeah, we'll get pretty it. Pretty badass, like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, funny story. Uh, there's a uh, GM dealership, a, a, a GMC like automotive dealership in Conroe, and the owner of that dealership has been around for oh, like 40 years or something. Buckaloo, uh, Wiesner. Wiesner. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad always told me the story that the owner of that dealership, he was in his 70s, still coming into work, right? Still to that day would turn the receipt paper in the calculator over to run it backwards. So they would use the backside of their calculator paper or receipt paper or whatever, which, I mean, whatever, however many millions they do a month in revenue, you know what I mean? Like he's still reusing that, those, that calculator mm-hmm. paper, like, Man, I think the people that really have to claw for it, uh, there's certainly things that just don't ever leave, yeah. and and I think that's probably a good thing. Like I think yeah. if you have to choose, man, you want to come at it on that side of things. Yeah. So whenever I was growing up, my dad worked for Wiesner for for many years, and actually met some of the Wiesner family on a, on a number of occasions. And hearing you say that didn't surprise me at all, based on the things that my dad shared with me about right. Mr. Wiesner. Um, very. What did he frugal. do for Weezer? He was worked. That? How long? He worked at Weezer for how long? Oh God, years and years. Um, now this was probably back in the '90s or so that he worked with them. Um, but yeah, car sales in some really? capacity. Yeah. My mom is still there. Really? Yeah. Okay. And she's uh, she's the controller there. She's been there for like 34 years. Really? Yeah. So my brother might know her. I would imagine. Yeah. All right. Her name's on the checks. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's, that's funny, that's, man. Small it world. Is, yeah. It is. Very small world. How did we not make that connection before? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, my mom's been there for a long time. And my dad worked there uh, selling cars for a while now. Yeah. Uh, is one of the, the Wiesner sons uh, Don Ed? Yeah. Is that his name? Okay. All right. I think he's... Running it now that Mr. Wiesner passed. I think so. I don't yeah. know if Don Ed saves the receipt paper or anything. But Probably not. I know what I... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don Ed didn't have to claw his way to the, no. there, right? So no. that's kind of a good... Uh, dude, funny too. Uh, my brother-in-law gives me this book. It's called uh, The Sports Gene. Okay. And it basically looks at whether or not athletes are born like skilled or born with the talent they have or is is or do they develop that talent right like so how much of it is genetic like how much of lebron james is genetic mm-hmm. right i hate to lose lebron james as an example but <laughs> he's a specimen you yeah. know what i mean but so but how much of him is and there's a a cool uh 
story in that book of this village in Africa where some something there's some statistic where like however many uh, Americans per year run a marathon in like under two hours or something. I don't know if that's right, but it's like two hours or two hours and 30 minutes or something. And it's something like 33 Americans have do it on an annual basis. Well, out of this village in like West Africa, like 33 a month do it. So it's, it's certainly like, obviously something's coming out of this village where you're like, why are you guys able to run the way that you are? Right. So they go and they look in the, in and they see, uh, over there, they don't have the distractions we have. Like they don't have eight gazillion TV channels and they watch YouTube in their spare time. Like they, they don't do that. So like on Fridays, they might go down to the track and running track might be a form of like entertainment for athletes and also people to spectate. Um, they also walk and run to school as children um, and they develop this athletic ability and they're mm-hmm. built to run and they're built to run long distance and they've even found that the ones that have become truly great and come out and won gold medals and in on world stages have then brought back money to their families and they've bought cars and they've bought you know better homes and modes of transportation so now their children aren't walking to school the same way that they were and they're you know so their children are not developing to be world-class runners. And I thought that was really interesting, like how much our environment can mold and shape us. And the book's called The Sports Gene. It's pretty cool. The Sports Gene. Yeah. I have to check that out. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot to that because when you look at, especially in, well, I, I think there, there are no overnight success stories. I think everything yeah, is a result yeah. of kind of the cumulative effort over the span of our lives. Yeah, maybe Dogecoin. <laughs> okay. uh, maybe. Yeah, I maybe think anything Elon touches kind of turns to gold. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe some overnight successes in 2021 or 2020. Okay, all right, that's fair. So let's see here. Um, God, can you believe some of those stories, man? Of people, I mean, cashing out like big, big money on that stuff. Mm-hmm. It is so strange. What a crazy time. And it's kind of cool. I've seen people like. N- people now finding new business ventures through that. Like people are leaving their jobs to manage cryptocurrency funds or, or just manage their own investments on like a daily level. They're doing that from home and subsidizing income. Like um, it's just crazy. Like what 2020 kind of did for a lot of people. I think it, for a lot of people, it kind of broke them. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of people, it, opened up their eyes to new opportunity. And I, I think like, I think there is a lot of opportunity, but yeah, that crypto stuff is wild. It's, yeah, it is. It's crazy. So last year or over the past eight months or so, I've started trying to expand my network and adding friends on Facebook and Instagram, stuff like that. Just trying to get more exposure and God, I mean, you get a lot of ads and stuff for like, well, so I ran into, I kind of went through a little bit of a stint where it was just kind of trying to grow my network at, 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 and what I realized was taking that approach, like half of them would send me a message. Hey, how's it going? Have you heard about crypto? Like, God <laughs> damn, no. I, like, just leave me alone. I've had another friend that tell me the same thing. I've not had that happen to me one time. I don't, it's so strange. And I have bought a lot of crypto, but I've yeah. not had one person 
I guess maybe one have, has been some, but never like a direct message or I don't yeah. even know. It just doesn't seem like to the extent that some people get it. It's yeah. Kind of no. So it's pretty much died down. And to be fair, I'm also a lot more thorough whenever, before I add a friend or accept a friend invite, I'll go check their profile and say, if there's, if there's Forex or anything listed in oh, there, yeah. you know what? I'm sorry, not even no. going to, sorry, that's a, that's a no. Well, just kind of <laughs> If someone sends me a friend request and they have a, a little circle that says, I've been vaccinated. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Matter of fact, if you have anything around your profile picture that's making some kind of statement. Yeah. I, I, no. yeah. <laughs> just, I don't care what the statement is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what it is. Oh, Dude, man. Dude, that's so much better. I have like 250 friend requests in my yeah. Facebook that I'm like yet to confirm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a running joke in our family. It took me like seven years to add my sister-in-law. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Just lost in the list somewhere. So like one year for her birthday, I like accepted it. <laughs> like, we had like a big thing. I was like, I finally feel like we're there. <laughs> our relationship is really grown. Oh, I need man. to be better at that. My wife's been telling me uh, from a business standpoint. To, so I, I always, I have a business page for the the real estate investment stuff i've got a business page for the retail and then i've got like my personal stuff which to be honest i kind of just stay on my business page for tf uh, Mm -hmm. most of the time Uh, but i'm trying to use my personal stuff more to try to have some kind of separation um and really it's mostly just pictures like me my daughter and uh, danny but uh danny's been telling me that when i that i do need to do more she's like you're 35, you're in great shape, you're a guy, you're super relatable, like you you built businesses that are, you know, like you're a relatable, you're a li- relatable guy and you're likable. Like you, you should put yourself out there more and um, I'm likable. Um, well, I think you've got an incredible story to tell as well, which is m- motivating and inspiring to a lot of others who maybe are hesitant to to start that thing yeah i I think you're right i mean you've been able to share your your journey into kind of flipping houses and and stuff like that so i mean i think it's important to be able to share that that messaging and i find that you know it's interesting i had a coaching call a few weeks ago and the topic came up of telling powerful stories and actually last week's episode was was talking about that but i found that whenever you're able to tell a powerful story, something that was meaningful for you or that kind of defined you, that it can, so many people can relate more to you. You become more relatable, easier to, to trust and, and build a more meaningful connection with more people in your network. So, I mean, I have to echo Danny's thoughts on that. I mean, get yourself out there, share your story because it is very inspirational. Your episode, yeah. the, our last episode is the most downloaded show of all of my shows today. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, I think you're, you're a likable guy. So that's cool. Yeah. You pat yourself <laughs> on the back. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's important to be able to share, share your messaging and help people. I needed to be a better job at it, man. And it's, so like for me, that's something that like I, I've talked to before. I think you and I might've talked about it. Like when we start telling, telling ourselves that we're working hard, mm-hmm. um, like for me going to the gym is not hard work. I really enjoy going to the gym. So like it's bullshit. If I tell myself I'm like yeah. really working hard, like, no, that's, that's stuff I enjoy. I think the hard, I think hard work starts when you start really digging into the stuff that maybe you're not good at and the stuff that, really takes effort and for me like social media 
is something I'm not good at. So that that's work for me. Yeah. And um, so if I'm going to bullshit myself and tell myself I'm a hard worker, I need to be willing to do the stuff that's hard. And social media is hard. Uh, I think she's really good at it. She's been trying to like show me some stuff. Dude, it's like a foreign language, man. Like so I'm like, how do I put the music on the reel? You know, and I'm like, where, how do I even get to the reels? Like, but that's a, that's, it's changing. Like I, I, I've got a younger brother who, um, he just got a Facebook page in it and he's 26 or something, but he was one of those guys who was like anti social media. And, uh, I'm like, Hey, that's fine and good. If you believe that, like, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to say like, yeah, I'm just not going to invite that stuff in my life, but it is the way commerce is done now. So either get with it or don't, you know, so like it, you can dislike it all you want, but that ship is sailing. So if you want to get on it, then get on it. And that was always my advice to him. And it was kind of like a pep talk for myself at the same time. Like I need to get my ass out there and be more, uh, be more visible and stuff. And, and like she was telling me on my real estate pages, when I'm showing a house, I get so much engagement on those pages because it's interesting, right? I'm like, I'm showing people what it looks like to tear a house down and rebuild it. And it's stuff that we're doing stuff that adds value to these homes. Like my whole MO is I, I go in and I try to add unique features that add a ton of value. So if someone's shopping for a home, if they're looking at 20 homes, mine is the only one that's going to have this like kind of X factor feature or something. I try to find at least one or two of those things. And I, I usually do a lot of like in town kind of looks or, or a higher like upper scale kind of looks in the suburbs, which you don't really see a lot. So I, I kind of like, I guess like, I don't know, I guess I do riskier things. Like we're not farmhousing everything, right? There's no milk crates hanging on my walls and stuff. Um, but like, we try to do stuff that looks like a million dollars, but we'll do it in the suburbs in a, in a average price range. And um, that's interesting to people because there's a lot of people that maybe want to do DIY projects around their house. And Danny's like, hey, that's super valuable. Like show people how th what that process is. But sometimes I'll go in the, in the house and you know I've got my phone and I'm like, all right, hey, we're doing this and this, but it doesn't come across like real genuine. It's kind of mm -hmm. like an afterthought, yeah. you know? And she's like, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you need to take them to Home Depot and hey, I'm looking at this tile. What about this paint color and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Great YouTube channel. I'm like, you have no idea what you're asking me to do. That's insane. There's no way I'm going to be able to take that on. That's a lot of work. So kudos to everyone out there who's you. This is, in, this is incredible, man. Like, Yeah, so I, for me, as you were sharing that, I'm thinking like the best way for me to relate is, is starting this podcast yeah. and this YouTube channel because you know, introvert, We've yeah. known each other for what damn near a decade now, but it wasn't until the past year or two that we really started like conversing and hanging out more and like talking more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, it was like, hey, I have to grow, I have to come out of my shell because I want to be able to share some of the things that that I've learned and and help people out. And so creating this show and all of it, it's it it is work. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. The research and and all the testing, I mean, Amazon probably hates me from all the mics that I've returned. Like, oh, no, don't like that. <laughs> Send that back. And so, but I feel, I feel like I'm growing and it is very fulfilling to say, okay, I'm, I'm not that introvert. Somebody made a, a comment to me the other day 
I, I said something in passing about being an introvert. And I'm like, really? I never would have got that from you, which was, was huge cool, yeah. for me. I mean, that was a cool feeling. Yeah. And then when I stepped in and started leading safety and transportation in my full-time job a few months ago, there was a lot of uncertainty and the people on the safety team were like, whoa, wait a second. And I, you know, caught wind. One of them said, Hey, why is the HR guy leading safety and transportation? Well, I've spent 20 years on it. I've been the it guy for my entire career and I've only been leading HR for about four or five years. But when they said, why is the HR guy leading safety and transportation for me? I was like, hell yeah, I'm not just the it guy anymore. (laughs) And, and so for me, I'm like, all right, cool, let's let's do this. There's there's some growth, and it it is a very fulfilling feeling, kind of a sense of accomplishment. But all that to be said, create a YouTube channel. I know kind of how to do it, and so you can document all of your houses, make your trips to Home Depot. You're good with the camera. You're good having conversations. It's just a matter of pulling all those clips together and say, hey. Here is this project. And then maybe when you sell the house, you deliver all of that footage so that they know the story behind it. I could see that being pretty cool. You know, if you bought a house and you kind of saw it. Yeah, you saw how it unfolded. You saw the progression of it. I mean, I think that would be like, it's those little things that that X factor. Yeah. That's cool. That would be kind of interesting to see. I'm I'm imagining myself buying a house and like if you were able to actually see it come together, that'd Mm -hmm. be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It only probably only be meaningful for the person buying the home, but yeah, if yeah. you're coming into it like, hey, you're spending a few hundred thousand dollars, and you may live here for 10, 20 years, yeah. maybe. I mean, some people move in and out faster, but like I, I personally would think that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. Gosh, dude, it just it's that seems like such a big undertaking. That I've I have so much respect. Like we tend to kind of look at some of these like social media stars or whatever as like like that, like, what did we call it earlier? Like the ones that just came into it really fast. Mm-hmm. And dude, it's not easy, man. Like they, they had to build that stuff and polish it and put it to like, it's, it, it takes a lot of time and effort. So to all the guys that we kind of like look at as like, they got it easy. Cause they got like some big break on social or whatever, like, like your Logan Paul's of the world or something. There's probably so much work on the back end that that kid has done. So, like, let's not try to take anything from those people, man. That's yeah. a... Cause well, in my experience in this, it's, it's taken months. I think I first... Hmm, I was at the gym and talking with Tony Watley. He actually wrote a, a book called Side Hustle Millionaire. Pretty good book. But I was talking with him, trying to figure out advertising for my coaching and consulting stuff. And, and he's like, man, just start a podcast. And I was like, okay. So... I started doing a little bit of research, and next time I saw him, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to do a podcast. This is the co- this is what I'm going to cover. I'm going to do it every two weeks." He's like, "What? Come on, you got to do it every week." And I was like, uh, <laughs> "Okay, all right, I'm going to do it." And so it has been, definitely been an iterative process, and I've grown grown along the way and had to learn so much. But if you listen to like this episode or recent episodes compared to the first, there's no video, there's no YouTube yeah. or anything on the first. And I was fumbling my way through. I'm, I'm feeling more and more comfortable. And so there is a tremendous amount of growth in, in, in that. And I see it's not easy. 
I mean, I'm kind of living it, and I see some of the content out there. I'm like, damn, I want to do that. I want it to look like that. And so it just takes time. You didn't choose the easiest route by any means either. Like, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are just two people kind of shooting the shit. There's structure to your podcast. So, Mm -hmm. which, when there's structure, that means there's strategy, and that means there's editing and polishing. Mm -hmm. And, and like, um, I mean, you've got... um, Mine's drawing a blank, but like each one of your podcasts has like a cover photo that like mm-hmm. it, there's just a lot to it. It's not just like I'm sitting here with my buddy. We're going to talk about, you know, football for yeah. two hours, you know, or whatever. Well, and and so whenever I was doing my research and kind of learning about podcasts, there's, there's a few different approaches. Obviously, just one person sitting there talking. And then when you have uh, like two co-hosts, they can shoot the shit about oh, the latest football game or the races or, you know, wh- whatever's on. It's easier to have that conversation and and hold on to people from an engagement perspective when you've got two people kind of going back and forth. And so what I've learned in the past few months is whenever I have a guest on, we usually talk for about an hour, hour and 15, something like that. But whenever it's just me talking, I've kind of condensed it down into more bite-sized bits of information and it's usually like eight or nine minutes, just covering a topic on, you know, how to tell powerful stories or, you know, how to lead how to lead up the chain of command. It's a little bite-sized bits of bite-sized bits of nuggets. information. And like for me, it's it's easier to digest if I'm going to the gym, listen yeah. to a quick six-minute episode. A friend of mine, Philip Sessions, has has a podcast as well. And I, I appreciate it. it's just like short little bite-sized bits. Yeah, sometimes that's nice. Like I, I follow a couple different podcasts where I'll see it's like 17 minutes and I'm in the truck on the way to work and I'm like, oh, perfect, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot out there where you got to chip away at it for days, you know? Do you follow any, um, like, do you follow any podcasts or, or channels that talk about, like, how to podcast or how to, like, do you follow any, like, instructional or informative channels? No, I mean, I've done a lot of research on YouTube. And, and watch videos, but I actually don't follow any podcasts that focus just on that. Man, I came across, uh, my wife showed this to me, I came across this girl who, her whole her whole MO is teaching people how to make reels on Instagram, Okay, and she does it through reels. So she makes reels teaching people how to make reels and like giving little nuggets of advice uh, on everything from how to post to lighting to camera angle to timing to all kinds of stuff, how to utilize music, how to best time music, because reels are done in like, they do like little sound bites and stuff where you kind of time stuff to it. And there's a lot to them and you can, some of them are incredible. Like some of the content people are making right now, dude, people are amazing. Like there's some crazy, crazy awesome stuff. And this girl's stuff is, I mean, she's a savage. It's really awesome. But all she does is teach people how to make reels. And I think in like, my wife said in like three weeks, she went from brand new, to like 70,000 followers in like three weeks. I mean, it was like overnight because there's so many people out there that are seeking, like this is the direction of the world, right? So Mm -hmm. people are looking like you to find out like, well, what kind of lighting or what kind of cameras or what kind of mics or what is reverb? Like, Mm -hmm. what is that? You know what I mean? Like there's so many people out there that are trying to jump on this ship Mm -hmm. of just media shifts uh, of the media ship and they're looking for ways to learn and I, and people are looking for value ads and that's it. Her whole channel was a value ad, which I thought was like, man, that's interesting. Like she put it out there and the market spoke 
and said, oh, yeah, 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 we want that. We need that. Kind of cool. It is. And when you talk about the world going that direction, I mean, kind of thinking through all of the the content that I listened to from Gary Vee. I mean, he talks about this so much. Yeah, I mean, everything's going on to, uh, online, B2B. It's just, it's, it's huge, B2C. And it, it's something that it's, if you don't do it, you're going to get left behind. At least that's kind of the messaging that I'm picking up from Gary. And now he's been doing the things that he does. I feel like he's always ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look back at his career, I mean, he's huge now. And for me, a year ago or two years ago, something like that, whenever I came across him, I'm like, oh, damn, he just came out of nowhere. Well, not really. Yeah, not He really. built a lot of momentum over time. And now he's, he's really exploding. Have you seen his old stuff? He'll, he'll, tell, oh, he'll tell people, he'll be like, go back and watch my old stuff. Dude, it's, I mean, it's bad. It is. It's bad. It's but what's watch. also interesting is whenever he'll talk about some specific topic and then flash back to a, a clip of himself eight years ago on talking it. about it. <laughs> yeah. And like way ahead of the curve. It's, yeah. it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. He's an animal, man. And I don't know how old he is, um, but. I'd say he's like mid forties, early forties. Uh, I think mid- that's cool, man. I think yeah. it's so cool yeah. that he has not been caught up in the, those social constructs I'm talking about of the, or the seasonal construct of like, this is what I should be doing at forty or four or fifty or whatever, right? Like, he's still he is far more dialed in to the younger generation than I am, and he's probably got me by fifteen years. You mm-hmm. know, like kudos, yeah, you know, and. Uh, that's not what he, I guess what I'm saying is like, that's not what he wants to be doing. Uh, maybe he does, but he's doing what he's got to do. He's staying yeah. relevant. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's cool. I, yeah. I got to give all the credit there. Yeah. Obviously, Gary Vee's a badass. Um, okay. Anything else you want to cover? Uh, man, I had an interesting conversation with someone and I wanted your uh, point of view on it because I think you're probably somebody like this. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a, a guy who's selling cars right now. And in car sales or in sales in general, it's, it's a mind game. If you're having a, if you fall into a rut, you, you start, it's hard to pull yourself out of a rut in sales, right? Like it's the, the best time to sell is when you're coming off of a sale, right? When you're feeling good and you're high, right? So he had kind of slipped into a rut and he was going on like three weeks or two weeks when he only had sold like one car. And it's just, he was not feeling good about himself. He had a lot of missed opportunities. And I said to him, I said, man, failure tends to hurt a lot worse when you know you're not doing everything that you could be doing. And he kind of marinated on that for a minute. And, uh, and then I guess I, I was, I wanted your kind of an opinion on that because you seem to be somebody who I would describe as someone who takes themselves seriously. Um, and I didn't, I don't really know how to like describe that or, or define what, what I mean by that, but this is a very professional setup. You did, you decided that you were going to start a podcast and you did it right. You, you have not fudged on a corner. You've not taken a shortcut. Like it, you've, you've kind of became, I mean, you've dove into knowledge. I mean, I mean, I could, 
I wouldn't even know what questions to ask you about a podcast, but you're probably a wealth of information just from your process of developing it. And um, I don't know, I, I kind of got on this topic of like with him about what it means to take yourself seriously and in whatever you're doing, if you're in sales or you're in podcasting or whatever you, whatever your channel is, are you doing everything that you can do? And for instance, like if, if and, and we kind of got on the topic of social media for him because that was an option for him, right? And he's like, is it maybe a channel for you? Maybe like, and, and have you thought like, do you, I said, do you follow any automotive channels? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you think they sell a lot of cars? And he's like, man, I bet so. I mean, they get a lot of views, you know, and uh, there are, there's a lot of, there's, there's car salesmen out there that just review cars every day that get, you know, 16,000, sometimes 100,000, 600,000 views on YouTube videos. And I'm like, they probably do pretty good. They probably sell a lot of cars. So we kind of got on that topic of like, are you doing everything you can do? And the reason that, the reason that when you, when you feel like you're failing, the reason it hurts is because you know you can do more. Um, and like for me, I was trying to be kind of self-reflective and I was thinking about the real estate business. And while I think I'm really good at it, um, the market tells me I am. Like my homes sell really fast. I think the longest we've ever had on a home on the market is like a day. Uh, so our, our homes have always sold really fast. So it's been very easy for me having a lot of W's in that column to kind of like coast, I guess, mm -hmm. um, or not continue to further my, that grit that, that I started with, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So after W, after W, after W, we talked about our ego earlier. Like it, it's kind of human nature where you start to go, man, I'm, I'm not so bad at this, man. Like, mm -hmm. well, I kind of have a choice. I can either continue doing that, which I'm, I'm kind of just building stuff that I like, that I, I know the market likes. But if you ask me, hey, what types of colors should be used with a room this size? Why should I use this shade of wood with this? Or what type of flow should this have because of these patterns? Like, I don't know the answers to those questions. I don't know those real design questions because I really haven't gone and sought out courses and further education in my field. But if I'm being honest, dude, if I'm taking myself seriously, that's what that looks like. If I want to, if I want to, be the best at what I'm doing. What the hell, man? Like, what am I doing? And I know some guys that I would describe as guys that take themselves seriously, and I would I would put you in that category because I would imagine, like, if you were doing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. I think you would do it that way. So I think as you were sharing all of that stuff, I had a, a number of thoughts. I probably should have been writing them down. But Whenever you get to a position where you, you get a bunch of W's under your belt, kind of like what you described, no, no doubt your friend who's a car salesman had had a bunch of W's at one point and then found himself in a little bit of a lull. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a blow to the ego. Hit your self-confidence and it can become where you like circle a drain. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how the hell do you get out of this? And then when you have back-to-back -back L's. Yeah, what, what, yeah. exactly. And, and I think... You know, there's a few things that come to mind for me. I think it's important to seek out advice and guidance from mentors or the people that, that do care about you and want to see your success. I think there's a lot of people that say they want to see someone be successful, but then they're envious of them and kind of in the back of the back of their head, they're 
you know, up front and in person, they're like, yeah, go get it. In the back of my mind, they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But when you find those people, you have to be able to check your ego and have a conversation like with, like you do with you and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? Like, help me out here. And you have to be able to listen. What's interesting is that he's a car salesman and he came to you for guidance, someone who's completely outside of his profession. And so I think that's that's a good thing. But finding somebody that you can seek that guidance from and then actually heeding that advice, checking your ego and not going home and thinking, well, Chris builds houses. He doesn't know anything about selling cars. Yeah. Like he's got to be able to take your feedback and reflect on it and think, okay, you know what? Hmm. Maybe I do need to start some sort of a channel. Maybe I need to get some sort of social media platform set up where I can get my messaging out there. At the very that's, least. That's tough, though, because a lot of people don't want to check their ego. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's tough. That's been something that I've, over the past few years, I've been, uh, I think I'm doing a better job at mm -hmm. being self-reflective and honest with myself um, like that. Like, mm -hmm. there's more that I could be doing. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I look at, at my um, full-time career. For, for years, I've wanted to lead all of the teams that I'm leading today. And there were actually two predecessors in that role before I was. And after the second time, like the first time, I was like, well, what the hell? This is like I even told you that this is the role that I wanted, and it didn't happen. The second time it happened, I was like, son of a bitch. But I got it. I, I understood the why. The person who was coming in, very well respected in the organization, I, I got it. And then we hit the downturn, and like the role just didn't exist anymore. And I found myself, like over the years, I was so frustrated. It's like, what, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I get this job? Mm -hmm. And after many sleepless nights over months and, and years, I actually, I finally just kind of heeded Gary Vee's advice and said, you know what, I'm just going to do what I love. I'm going to work to become the best version of myself. I'm going to start focusing on doing the things that make me happy. And coaching people is one of the things that makes me happy. So I spent a lot of time coaching people at the company that I work for. And I kind of just said, you know what, if it happens, it happens. You know, Gary Vee always talks about like falling in love just, with the process. You just kind of jumped into the role without the title. Kind exactly. Of. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty much doing the role without the title, kind of coordinating and guiding and, and working with my peers and then the people on my team and their team and leading up, just kind of doing the role without the title and then falling in love with the process. And then all of a sudden it happened. And which is, did you fall in love with the process? I did. Absolutely. And this is something there's actually some people that I coach right now that I'm trying to coach them into falling in love with the process. But when you're kind of earlier on in your career or at kind of that point in your life where you're, you're trying to um, kind of go through those stages in life and, oh, well, I should be making this much money by my age. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to love the process when you're so fixated on, I want that job or I want that dollar amount and my paycheck or whatever that comes down to. But I think falling in love with the process, seeking out guidance from people like yourself, friends, family, colleagues, checking your ego, and then just doing what makes you happy. And, and then start figuring out, okay, you know, Chris suggested this, 
I'm not going to do all this stuff over here, but let me at least try my hand at this. And it's going to suck. I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to be a fumbling idiot on my social for a little while. But fortunately, I'm not going to have any listeners or viewers, so it doesn't Dude, matter. The crazy thing is every single person is a fumbling idiot when they start, That's right? exactly right. But it's tough to put yourself out there. Yeah, it's very in hard. The, you know, the very beginning. And, you know... <laughs> So I've been through a few executive presentation courses um, over the years where they kind of teach you how to get up in front of a crowd and, and talk to people. And the last one that I went through was with all the vice presidents and presidents of, of the company. And one of the presidents, his name is Joe. He is probably hands down the best speaker I've seen in my entire life. Just captivating, off the charts, brilliant, just a phenomenal speaker. And so we're going through, and and on the last day, so it's a three-day course, on the last day, I'm presenting in front of all these guys. And throughout the process, they're giving you feedback on what you can do differently, what you can do better, and stuff like that. Well, Joe gets up, and he says, he starts talking about progression in your career, or in this instance, public speaking. And he said, you know, I've watched Sean over the past six years, because over you know the preceding six years or so when we have executive strategy sessions i would have to get up and present on technology and and digital transformation and things like that so <laughs> joe's like you know i've watched sean over the years and in the beginning he was he was bad like really bad <laughs> really yeah and he said it's been interesting to watch my growth over the years in terms of getting comfortable in front of a crowd getting comfortable talking to people um, even if it's not kind of a, a planned speech, if it's just extemporaneous and, and you got to get up and talk about some sort of a topic. And so for me, one, I appreciated the feedback and just the brutal honesty because I know I sucked. I, I remember the first time I presented in front of everybody, I stood behind a podium and was just like, I was not going to let that podium move. Yeah, I was, yeah. It was locked down. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and now I feel comfortable walking around around the room. But getting that feedback from people is, is so important, and I think it's just it's lost on a lot of people. They can't overcome their fear. Maybe for people that don't, maybe don't have someone or aren't lucky enough where they have someone uh, to reach out to and get some one-on-one with like that, just kind of auditing your, like, what you're digesting, like what you're taking in. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, do you spend your... 15 minute drive to work listening to podcasts like this or you know do you listen to a political podcast and you're taking in a bunch of toxicity that when you get to work you may not be in a bad mood but mm -hmm. you're certainly in a different place than you would have been had you listened to something that was um i don't even want to use the word motivating but like got your brain kind of working in in the shifting or, or those gears turning in that in that manner um and for me, uh, it's a very real difference. So I think, I think for a lot of people, it, it's important that we kind of audit what that stuff is that's coming in. Because you don't have to have a mentor. You could just listen to guys like Gary Vee, listen to guys like Andy Frisella, Sean Barnes, you know what I mean? Like guys of that caliber. Oh, <laughs> all right. I like it. So, but I mean, that is a, a very valid and good point. And if you look at how social media platforms are constructed way easier said than done too it, it is so. because if you if you hit that like button on 
you know, something Ted Cruz says. They're, you're going to get a bunch yeah. of conservative content. You're going to get a bunch of, oh, the Biden administration is doing this and this and this. And likewise, on the flip side, if you're following the mainstream media, you're going to get a bunch of crap on all the things that President Trump did. And it's going to, like, pull you down this drain. Mm-hmm. And it's, until it's you, so, so captivating. It is. I mean, it, it is so... It is the best content out there that will suck you in. Nothing will grab you like this stuff. Yeah. It, it's an, it's pure, and it seems like, at least it, it seems like it's absolute insanity out there. And it grabs you. Yep. And you get into that headspace. Man. Well, and then the, the platform itself is designed to draw you in and keep you locked into that platform. When you look at the algorithms as far as like sharing posts and content, if you share a link to YouTube, Facebook is going to intentionally suppress that because they don't want you to click on that link and leave Facebook. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, and there's all sorts of like strategies and tricks around it. I like shared if a you, link to YouTube like, the other day. Like nobody liked it, did yeah, they? Yeah, no. Yeah, because Facebook didn't put it in front of anybody, most, more than likely, or hardly anybody. Yeah. However, if like someone like me who likes all of your content, I'm probably going to see it and like it. But Yeah, you were one of like four. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it intentionally kind of suppresses that content because it's designed to draw people in and lock them into the platform. So if you're liking conservative content or mm-hmm. or you know liberal content, whatever you follow, mm-hmm. it's going to push more and more and more of that to you. And then also sucks you down that drain. So circling back to the importance of auditing what you're paying attention, paying attention to. I've found that when stuff like that comes across my feed, I just don't like it. When Gary V, Andy Priscilla, when people like that that are sending messaging and creating content that is meaningful and thought provoking, I mm-hmm. find myself intentionally making sure I like it or comment on it so that I get more of that. But it's about self-awareness. A lot of times people just, they don't realize the mechanisms that are detrimental to them that are wreaking havoc on their lives. Uh, a, a thousand percent, man. That, that actually reminds me. I remember when I had an outside sales position, I would spend so much time in the car. And I was driving all over the city. I was interacting with uh, new people. And I was eating at different different like lunch spots and it, it allowed for so much creativity. Like my mind, it, you don't realize it, but like your mind is moving at a thousand miles an hour all the time. So it could be a billboard. It could be a new restaurant pop up, a new business that you see. And it, it just kind of triggers a, or, or provokes a thought that kind of leads you down to a new idea or something. But like, I would describe myself as far more creative during that time. Um, because I think what I was digesting was so broad and I was interacting with so many different people and seeing so much. Uh, and I caught myself, now that I'm not in that position, and, and I'm listening to like kind of the, the same channels over and over again, it's really easy to start slipping into just that one little groove. And it kind of like suppresses that creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to be conscious of that, man. It would be important to consider where you're spending most of your thoughts. Uh, and that's an interesting thought too, man. Think about like when you listen to a podcast, oftentimes you're like going on a journey with that. You're listening to another conversation. There's people that are listening to this, that are listening to me speak and their creativity or their, th- they're not getting, they're not 
they rarely, they might not, not ever spend a minute of the day in their own thought. They might wake up. They might, what's the first thing you do? You might, we might turn our alarm off on our phone, mm-hmm. maybe check to see if we have any notifications. Could be a text message or a call or something. Some people might immediately go to Facebook and check that. Some people might immediately go to Instagram or email. Um, and there's a lot of people with opinions on like how to manage that in the morning. But like, think about your day. Are you listening to music when you're in the bathroom getting ready for work? Do you put music on when you're on the way to work? Or do you listen to a podcast? And then when you get to work, now you're, you've got tasks and you've got things that you need to deal with and work on. And then when you leave, are you turning another podcast on on the way home? When did you ever really spend in your own thought to be self-reflective and to, and to kind of dig into your own, like you might go days or weeks with just living in someone else's speed or someone else's kind of yeah. journey, you know, whether it be music or podcast or whatever. So I, I made a, a YouTube video had a few months ago. I was went to a strategy session up north and I, it was, where was it at? Possum Kingdom Lake. So there were some... It's kind of rocky terrain up there, like northwest of Fort Worth. And I found some trails local to where we were staying, and I decided to go running. Now, I don't like running. I, I just, I, I was a distance runner in junior high and high school, and, and I felt like I just got enough running out. And then plus it's so hold, hard for me to hold on to body weight anyways. I just have this mental thing like I'm just going to wither away. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't run very often. I just, you know, lift things, heavy weights. <laughs> so, but anyway, so, Protein. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So went out there, uh, went running and, oh my God, it was just. Headphones or no? Um, yeah, I had headphones, but it was so interesting because I found myself reflecting and having so many just, Wow ideas mm-hmm. it's like holy crap and and so i'd run for a while and then i'd stop and you'll take a music, video music or a podcast uh music and so i'd run for a little while and then st- or well i was kind of bouncing back and forth no music some music and then i'd stop and record a video with my thoughts and but it was it was very interesting and i think that the content of the the video that i created was like hey take some time for yourself go walk on some trails with no mm-hmm. music no like no nothing mm-hmm. just think just because think. Even whenever I go to the gym and I'm lifting weights, I still don't like it's therapeutic, but I'm not processing. I don't have any big ideas unless you and I are working out together. But I just don't really have big ideas or any sort of revelations. But whenever I went out running, it was it was incredible. Just a flood of of thoughts and and, and ideas. That Dude, that's hit. awesome. So you like you found a tool. Exactly. You, know? you found yeah. so now like And then I found myself like five miles from the truck and thought Oh shit! I need cool. to get back to the truck. Yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome, man. But yeah, it was a, it was a great experience, and I I need to do it more for sure. Dude, I think that's killer. I, I think it's like I said, I think it's super easy to find yourself in someone else's lane or someone else's channel or group. But dude, it, you've got to get in there and and allow your mind to kind of open up a little mm-hmm. bit and like let that throttle out, you know mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. It's happened to me running too. There's a particular place that um, an old address of Danny and I's that I, I I always used to run. It was th- through this really nice neighborhood. We were the n- n- neighborhood next door to this neighborhood, okay. uh, but I would always like <laughs> run through, and man, it's like Spanish tile houses and yeah. like beautiful. And it would always, it never failed. I always would have like 
like a feeling of just how blessed I am would come over me. Cause you know, when you're running, you're probably running when it's good weather, you're running past all these beautiful driveways. People are waving at you. It's the suburbs, you know, and you're like, man, this is so, I'm so blessed that this is my, this is where I'm running right yeah. now. And, um, I, and, and there was this one real long stretch of blacktop that I would always tend to, I just felt like things were flooding my way. Like it could be ideas or just, um, just endorphins, man. Yeah. I mean, it just felt good. And, and now I try to do something similar. I don't, I, I do run uh, once or twice a week. I listen to music when I run, but, uh, almost nightly I stretch and I, I try to turn everything off and just kind of allow your thoughts to run. And you'd be surprised. And at first, like the first five minutes, you're like, okay, I'm kind of anxious. This yeah. is weird. Like it's real quiet mm-hmm. in here, but you kind of don't even realize it when it happens, but your mind just starts kind of taking you places. And that's what those, uh, those chambers are like those blackout chambers. Mm-hmm. Like that's a real thing. If you could try to eliminate any, any outside like distraction, your mind will start going. And I, I would definitely give that advice for people who are feeling like they're in a rut, feeling like they uh, are looking for clarity or looking for answers or something, or looking for direction on what their thing is they're working on. Uh, and if you're not doing that or you don't spend any time in your own head, that'd be good, man. It's good for me. Yeah, I, I agree. So I'm the same way. So in the evenings, I'll stretch. I usually get up and stretch first thing in the morning as well. Part of it's just because I feel like I'm old as hell. Um, but I do feel so much better, and it gives me time to kind of regroup. At the end of the day, I'm processing everything that happened. And in the mornings, I'm thinking through, okay, what do I got to get knocked out? What do I have to take care of today? Do you make and lists? Are you a list person? Oh, absolutely. I've got, yeah, I have a definitely a to-do list for personal and for business on my phone. And mm-hmm. like when I have an idea, I write it down because otherwise I'll forget it. I go through phases, and uh, I can tell you I am definitely more productive when I make lists. Mm-hmm. That to me is like, I don't think that should be an option for people. Like yeah. if you're trying to be a, a productive individual, like it, not making a list is not, and that's just how you do it. Like mm-hmm. you, you make lists and every big influencer, every guru has some little spin on basically make a list, right? Like some little like catchy thing that they do. Uh, Andy Frisella talks about, uh, he'll write down like the five most critical tasks that he can do that day to, to progress or to, to make progress in whatever, you know, ventures he, it is. But what are the five most critical things he could do that day? And his take on it is really interesting. It's, and it, and it helped me a lot. Um, I'll tell you why, but when he crosses those out, when he gets all five done, if it's 11 AM, he's done. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. Like this idea that there's not like, like try to find like work-life balance and stuff. I mean, yes, there is that, but like you still got to get your critical shit done. So get it done and then there's that, right? So, and I think that helps you kind of detach. Like for, for me, there was a big period of my life where I wasn't making lists. Um, I didn't really know where exactly I was shooting. Like I didn't have a direct goal, a direct vision. I just knew I wanted more. I knew I wanted to progress from, from where I was at. I just knew I wanted more. Right. So I, I would just work, 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 work. And it, I would work until all hours of the night because it make me, it would make me feel like I got a lot done. Mm -hmm. 
maybe I didn't, maybe I wasn't as productive as I wanted to be that day. So I would just keep working and going to bed at 11 o'clock or shutting the computer down at midnight or one, I would go, Whew, man, I put in a good day today. And you're like, well, but how productive were you? You know? And it was this lie I was telling myself and it wasn't until like I really started making lists that it kind of helped me like detach from that. Like, because now, uh, I was telling someone the other day, now I can't really do that. Like Marley was born. Marley's a, uh, 13 or 14 months now. Um, so like, I want to be home. I want to play with her. I want to spend a lot of time with her. I, and thankfully I'm getting more time than ever at home right now. Um, super thankful for that. But in the past, I couldn't do that. I couldn't like, sh I would have to keep working to make it feel like I was productive. But now I make lists. And, you know, sometimes I might leave one thing on that list and like it rolls over to, to tomorrow. No big deal. I've had one thing roll over from Monday this week. Still haven't got it done yet. <laughs> it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. It's my old, I get my old change in my truck, but it's on my list, right? Yeah. Um, and really that's not the, one of the most productive things for me to do, right? It's on my list. It's just a thing I got to do. But yeah. Make a list, man. Yeah, agreed. All right, so it's getting hot. We need okay. to go ride. I hope we can. I hope it's not raining out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, it looks, sun's out. I know it rained pretty hard. But uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. I always, always fun, dude. such a pleasure. And as you were talking, I've got so many gems and little clips that I'll be able to make from the the knowledge and gold that you were able to drop here on the show. <laughs> so look forward to those. Dude, so, I always have a blast, man. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. For all of y'all listening, thank you so much. And y'all have a good one.